Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 13 Day 8 Hashtag Take the Meds At Dr. Durak Merck Don't be a sheeple! Trust the government to give you your shots? Then you get what you deserve. At a real girl. What the fuck is wrong with you anti-vaxxers? This disease turns people into murderers. Drink the fucking inoculant already or you'll kill us all. At Twista Sister BB5. I don't get this hostility. If you want to take their drugs, take them. If I don't want to, that's my choice. It's a big pharma trick. At Bad Astronomer. Hey, anti-vaxxers, heard of a thing called the news? You know those fancy moving pictures that keep showing what happened on the Brashear? Hashtag take the meds. At BootyHootie912. You don't want to drink your gunk? Shit, dog, give it here. I'll put it next to my Glock, which you'll see again when you change. Chapter 14. Manipulation. She had to find a way to control the men. Margaret sat with her back against the mission module's thin metal wall, her thighs parallel to the ground, her feet on the floor, the chair position. Her thighs burned. A fight was coming. She needed to be strong. At the count of 100, she bent forward, extended her body, and started doing push-ups. One, two, three, four. Math, the most basic language of the galaxy, the language created by God, not the human God or gods, but the real God. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. If the men on this ship had converted, she knew she would have been able to control them. They would have followed her, did whatever she said. God had made it that way. But the men weren't converted. They were merely human. Human, yes, but trained killers. Dangerous. Thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six. She was smarter than they were. She could find a way to make them do what she wanted. If she started now... When the right time came, she could play them against each other. Or at least she could stay alive long enough to find her own kind. Fifty-nine, sixty, sixty-one. Her arms and chest burned. She ignored the pain. Years spent hiding away had made her soft. She needed to make her body hard. Clarence would be the easiest to manipulate. She knew what motivated him the simple sentiment of a soon-to-be-extinct species. He loved. 102, 103, 104. Chapter 15 Big Pharma Excerpt from the website, Beyond Top Secret, by Smart Enough to See. For decades, the government has been the pawn of Big Pharma, 
funneling billions of taxpayer dollars to companies that produce improperly tested drugs and vaccines. And now that same government is telling you that you must take this new inoculant drug for the mysterious alien infection. An infection that has not been proven to exist. And a drug that has not been properly tested even by the rubber-stamping big pharma paw known as the FDA. The government tested the drugs and vaccines that gave our children autism. Our friendly overlords aren't even bothering to pretend to test things anymore. And now... Our government says we must take this untested medicine. If we don't, why, we'll become murderers. We'll kill our own families. How frightening and how convenient. Until the government publishes the science behind this claim, do not believe the lies. Demand information. Demand proof. Chapter 16 The West Coast the situation room was getting crowded. Murray tried not to stare across the table at the latest person to join the party. Dr. Frank Cheng looked like the cat that ate the canary, smug, self-satisfied, and quite impressed with his new place of importance. You don't even realize your choice number two, jackass. If Margot wasn't stuck on that ship, she'd be here instead. Murray, Cheng, Admiral Porter, Andre Vogel, the president and a standing-room-only crowd of other directors, assistants, and important people listened to Nancy Whitaker, Secretary of Homeland Security, describe the massive inoculation project. The West Coast response was phenomenal, Whitaker said. All major breweries and 90% of independents have cultures and are either in full production or close to it. Bakeries all over the country have joined in. They're collaborating with any bottling facility they can find. We estimate that 85% of the populations of Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, and San Diego are inoculated. The Los Angeles Basin is lagging behind at around 65%. The speed of the national response boggled Murray's mind. In all his years of service, he had never seen the nation unify for one cause like this. Not for 9-11, not for oil spills or tornadoes, not for hurricanes or superstorms. Maybe it was because most disasters were regional. A flooded Long Island had little impact on Arizona or California, didn't affect the farmers in the Midwest and the Plains states, didn't bother anyone in the great state of Texas. The news covered such tragedies. People donated to the Red Cross. Then everyone who wasn't in the disaster zone went on about their daily lives. The infection outbreak, on the other hand, affected everyone. Some people remained oblivious, as people often do, but the majority of Americans understood the situation's stark reality. This was the potential death of their nation. Americans were banding together to fight it tooth and nail. Banding together thanks to the leadership of President Sandra Blackman. Murray had thought her an idiot, a Bible-thumping figurehead, but her ideology and personality seemed tailor-made for just this situation. Demons were at the door. Americans wanted a defender armored up in good old-fashioned religion. Whitaker finished her report, but she didn't sit down. She shifted uncomfortably, like a high schooler who had to tell her strict parents she'd been caught screwing in the parking lot. Spit it out, Nancy, Blackman said. I heard your good news, now give me the rest. 
Whitaker cleared her throat. <clears throat> Madam President, while the distribution is going well, there is a growing problem. On multiple websites and in social media, people are broadcasting a message to not take the inoculant. Blackman's face wrinkled in doubtful confusion. Is this a religious reaction? I know the Muslim community isn't thrilled we're using breweries, but my people are in direct contact with Islamic leaders, and we're overcoming that. Whitaker shook her head. She cleared her throat again, giving Murray a moment to wonder who could be so bugshit crazy they wouldn't take the inoculant. The objections are anchored by the anti-vaccine crowd and the alternative medicine movement, she said. Almost without exception, both groups are using every communication vehicle they have, websites, blogs, email lists, social media, to tell people that this is, quote, a big pharma trick. I have some sites to show you. Whitaker called up websites on the Situation Room's main monitor. Murray saw page after page with headlines that painted the inoculation effort in terms of government abuse, a capitalist power grab, grand Illuminati conspiracy, even mind control. Who could be so bugshit crazy? These people, that's who. Blackman stared blankly. People are actually listening to this? These are just fringe movements. How many people are we talking about? Whitaker shrugged. It's impossible to say at this time. Blackman threw up her hands. But this doesn't make any sense. We broadcast video of those brave sailors. The cocooning. That horror show of the triangles. We showed that. The most common reaction is that the videos are fake. Whitaker said. Hollywood special effects, CGI. They say all the data is fabricated. Blackman shook her head. Wide-eyed and open-mouthed, she had never looked less presidential. But that isn't even sane. What possible motivation could we have for tricking 330 million people into drinking the inoculant? To create dependence, Whitaker said. That's the most common claim. Other theories involve nanotech that will let the government target people who oppose official policy. Or that the inoculant will let the shadow governments control politicians and the military. Or just to make everyone dumber and more docile. All of these are variations on ideas that have been around for years and applied to everything from agriculture to chemtrails to broadcast television. Our urgent message that everyone has to take the inoculant plays right into the conspiracy theorists' existing structures. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
remote island in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Blackman sat quietly for a moment as she thought it over. She looked at Cheng. The people who refuse to take the inoculant. What are their chances of contracting the disease? Cheng leaned back, stroked his chin. The little fuck was actually milking the moment, pausing for drama's sake. Murray cursed the misfortune that kept Margaret away. We estimate that the infection rate will be around 90% for anyone who isn't immunized, Cheng said. Blackman straightened in her chair. She nodded, accepting the difficult news. I see, she said. All right, let's face reality. Dr. Ching, if some people refuse to take the inoculant and the infection spreads to these people, won't they just die off? Cheng set forward, eager. If only it were that simple, Madam President. This disease doesn't kill people. It turns them into killers. The fat man stood, addressed the room as if he were an actor on a grand stage. This denial will create pockets of people susceptible to the disease. True. But keep in mind that even if we had 100% acceptance from the populace, there is no way to inoculate everyone. We've seen it time and time again with pending natural disasters, where people don't get the warning message despite our best communication efforts. If we inoculate, say, 90% of the population, 10% of the population can still become infected. That's up to 33 million Americans behaving like the infected victims we've already documented. It would create untold havoc. Murray remembered the rampages of Perry Dawsey and Martin Brubaker. Colonel Charlie Ogden had led a company of converted soldiers into Detroit, cut off all roads, shot down commercial jets, brought that city to its knees. Every infected person became a mass murderer. If millions of people became infected. Blackman looked around the room. Can we force the inoculation on those who won't take it voluntarily? Whitaker nodded. Legally, yes. Local and state public health organizations have the right to require vaccination via the precedent of Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Sometimes individual freedoms lose out to the greater need. But it's doubtful we can do that on a national scale. Even if we had every police force working with us, we can't organize a door-to-door campaign for the entire country. Blackman's predator gaze swept the room, looking for prey. I must not be hearing this right. Are all of you telling me that we just have to wait and see if American citizens get infected? then suffer whatever damage they inflict until we can kill them? She slapped the table. Unacceptable. I want alternative plans, and I want them in four hours. Cheng, what about Montoya's Hydra strategy? Cheng froze. He looked left and right, saw that everyone was waiting for his answer. He licked his lips. Um, we are working on it. Blackman slapped the table again. How long? Murray was just as much at fault as Chang for this, but he couldn't help take a tiny bit of satisfaction at watching the attention horse suffer. You wanted the big-time hot shot? 
This is what it's really like. Chang had no choice but to meet the president's burning gaze. We have to locate the individuals who had that experimental stem cell therapy, he said. Blackman's nostrils flared. Her lips pressed into a thin line. The most powerful human being on the planet had eyes only for Chang. I'm gathering you've found none so far. And the only way that could happen is if you haven't actually looked. She turned on Murray, pointed at him. This is on you too, Longworth. It is. I'll take charge of the search personally. Director Vogel, Blackman said. You're now in charge of that search. I don't care what you have to do to find those people. Get the details from Murray and make it happen. Vogel nodded. Yes, Madam President. She turned her attention back to Cheng. From what you've told me, the Hydra strain could be just as bad as what we're already dealing with. But if this spins out of control and my choices are Hydra's or the destruction of the United States of America, you know goddamn well which one I'll pick. Blackman sat still for a moment, gathering herself. Murray wanted to crawl across the table and kiss her. He looked around the room, saw similar sentiments etched on the faces of America's elite. At that moment, no one gave a rat's ass if Sandra Blackman was Republican or Democrat, civilian or a vet, male or female. She was the right person in the right place at the right time. Everyone believed in her. She took a breath, visibly calmed herself. The Hydra strain is one contingency plan, but that's not enough. I want everyone working on worst-case scenarios. I want to know just how bad it can get, and I want to know what we're going to do if it gets that way. In the face of an utter catastrophe, it defied logic that Murray felt optimistic. And yet he did. It wouldn't be easy, and he knew many would die. But they were going to beat this thing. They were going to win. Chapter 17 Mr. Blister Cooper took another bite of his egg-white omelet, room service breakfast, and it tasted damn good. He wasn't sure if it was $37 good, but this was on Steve's tab, so he didn't really care. He still felt crappy, exhausted, weak, like his whole body was rebelling against him. But at least his appetite had returned. He was turning the corner. One more good, long sleep, and he'd be right as rain. Jeff, on the other hand, had gotten worse. Buddy guy, you gotta eat something, Cooper said. He pointed his fork at the hamburger sitting on the tray in front of Jeff's bed. Feed a cold, starve a fever, bro. Got a fever, too, Jeff said. Dude, I hurt so goddamn bad. His eyes were swollen, almost crusted shut. Jeff, I know you don't want to see a doctor while you're on vacation, but... A loud thump, woof, came from outside the curtain-covered window, followed by the faint, constant cry of a car alarm. Cooper put his fork down and walked to the window. He opened the heavy curtains, looked down to wintry Wabash Avenue far below. Jeff, come take a look at this. Jeff did, groaning as he pushed himself out of bed and joined Cooper at the window. 
Fifteen floors down, flames billowed out of a black and white cop car. One cop lay on the pavement, unmoving, his heavy winter jacket on fire and billowing up greasy black smoke. Another cop stood near the car, aiming his pistol at running pedestrians. Holy shit, Jeff said again. I think he's... Filtered by the distance and by a thick window that wouldn't open, the cop's firing guns sounded like the tiny snap of bubble wrap. A woman fell face first onto the slushy sidewalk. She rolled to her back, holding her shoulder. The cop turned, aimed at a running man. Snap! The man kept running, angling for a brown delivery van parked half up on the sidewalk. Snap! The man stumbled, slammed into the van's side. He slid to the ground. The cop strode toward him with a steady, measured pace. Jesus, Jeff said. That cop, he's killing people. Cooper heard sirens approaching. Thick, long echoes bounced through downtown Chicago's city canyons. The cop reached the fallen man, pointed his gun at the man's head. Cooper couldn't breathe. Fifteen stories up, there wasn't anything he could do but watch. Then the cop put the gun away. He knelt down and put his face on the fallen man's, held his head in what looked like a passionate kiss. The man kicked and struggled, but the cop kept at it, ignoring the feeble punches that landed on his shoulders and back. Jeff shook his head. What the fuck? Johnny Bad shoots him down, now he's performing mouth to mouth? Cooper didn't say anything. The burning cop car continued to pour black smoke into the sky the greasy column rising up right in front of their window. The woman was crawling across the sidewalk, a trail of blood marking her path. That's some pretty fucked up shit, Cooper said. Jeff coughed again, even harder than before. Half bent over, he walked to the bed and flopped down. Fuck it, he said. I gotta sleep. Turn out the lights, bro. Seeing Jeff on the bed made Cooper's own crippling fatigue hit home. The excitement had made him briefly forget how bad he hurt, but there was no escaping it. It'll be on the news soon, Cooper said. Got to be, bro. We'll find out what happened then. He looked out the window again. The cop was still bent over the fallen man. Two other people had come up to help, but Cooper couldn't make out what they were doing from so far away. Across the street, two women clashed in a hair-pulling chick fight. Friday night in downtown Chicago, that toddling town. Cooper jumped as something smashed into the wall next to him, shattered in flying pieces of black and clear plastic. The alarm clock. Coop, I told you to turn out the fucking lights! Jeff stared hatefully at him through swollen red eyes his mouth open, the tips of his wet, white teeth visible behind cracked lips. His face looked different somehow. If Cooper had bumped into this Jeff on the street, he would have barely recognized him. Angry Jeff was back, and just like before, Cooper's instinct screamed at him to do nothing that might set his friend off. Calm down, dude, Cooper said softly. I'll get the lights. Cooper pulled the curtains tight. He moved slowly to the light switch, flicked it off. Darkness engulfed the room. Even the alarm clock's red glow was gone. 
A tiny bit of light filtered through the top of the curtains. I can hear you, Jeff said from the darkness. You're loud-ass breathing, Cooper. I can hear you. Now he was breathing too loud? Cooper wasn't about to go to sleep if Jeff might wake up at any moment and beat the living hell out of him. Cooper wanted out, and he wanted out now. Jeff, brother, maybe I'll just go downstairs and let you sleep. He started to edge toward the door. Coop. Cooper stopped cold. Jeff's voice, but normal again. Normal and scared. Don't go, Jeff said. Just, just stay here, okay? I hurt awful bad. Cooper felt a pull of emotions. The fever was making Jeff delirious, maybe even dangerous enough to do something violent. But he was also afraid and in pain. For Jeff to actually ask Cooper to stick around? That man never asked for help. That meant he was in bad shape. It's okay, Cooper said. He quietly returned to his bed, feeling his way through the darkness. He lay down. It's okay, Jeff. I'll be here. Just go to sleep. You won't bail on me. Cooper felt a rush of love for his friend. They'd known each other their whole lives, like he could ever bail on Jeff Brockman. Hell no, Cooper said. I got your back. Just sleep. I'll be here. Moments later, Jeff started snoring. Cooper adjusted in his bed, but felt a pain on his right shoulder. He quietly sat up, craned his neck to get a look. In the faint light, he saw he had a blister of some kind, small, reddish, straining the skin like it had liquid inside. Liquid or air. He pressed a finger against it, slowly at first, then harder. It squished in, but didn't pop. Cooper rubbed at the area, then lay down. If it was still there tomorrow, he'd deal with it then. For now, however, the more sleep, the better. Chapter 18 Becoming More Steve hurt. He didn't mind the pain. Something was happening. Something wonderful. He wasn't afraid of Bo Pan anymore. He wasn't afraid of anyone or anything. He lay in his dark hotel room. He heard noises outside. Sirens, faint screams, something that might be a gunshot. But he didn't care. None of those things concerned him. He wasn't going back to Benton Harbor. He'd never see his parents again. But that too was okay because, somehow, his parents were no longer his they weren't his parents any more than some chimpanzees were his parents. Related, sure, but vastly separated by different states of intelligence, different states of awareness. Steve closed his eyes. He would sleep a little more, and he knew, he knew that when he awoke, he would be a new man. You have-
have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.